Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of Genesis. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention to the Word of God. And again, picking back up our study here in Genesis. Thank you again to Pastor Jimmy for uh, filling in last week as we were making our way back. Here we are now in Genesis chapter 7. We're going to consider both chapters 7 and 8 tonight. Um, these go fairly quickly, um, and I believe they need to be considered together for us to really get a sense of what's happening here. And uh, just by way of reminder, remember that up until this point, we've been considering now the life of Noah. We had there in, in Genesis 4 the genealogy that really gave us uh, insight into these, or maybe that was in chapter 5, excuse me, and we find ourselves making our way in that genealogy all the way up to Noah, and then we come into this time of Noah, and it says at the beginning of chapter 6, you don't need to turn there, but it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and we know from there, we have this crazy account of what people refer to, or what has been coined the, the Nephilim, and, and this corruption that happens on the earth, and what God sees is that the wickedness of men is pervasive. The scripture says that every, every thought, uh, all the hearts of men were wicked on the face of the earth. And God determined that at this point in time, because of the effects of the fall, sin had so affected humanity. And remember, this isn't just a small village at this time. Uh, we did the math uh, a few weeks ago, and it's likely that there was upwards of a few billion people on the planet at this time. So, Humanity had greatly multiplied, but they were wicked. They were sinful. And so God determined that the only course forward was to send a flood and to effectively wipe out humanity and most of the animals and, and different things from the face of the earth and start new and start over again. And he identified one man in his family that was just and was righteous. And scripture tells us that Noah walked with God and, and God called Noah into ministry, if you will. He gave Noah a mission, and one that didn't really make a whole lot of sense to Noah, and it certainly didn't make sense to the people who were around Noah, but he calls Noah to build an ark, to build a large ship that will be the means for their salvation, that will literally carry them through the time of the flood, and they will be spared and enter into a new world, be given new life. And so Noah gets this call and he's obedient. He listens to the Lord and he follows the Lord and he begins to work as the Lord gives him instruction on building an ark. Now this did not happen overnight. It didn't happen in five years or 10 years. Fact is, Noah was likely building the ark for upwards of 70, 80 years working at this diligently. It's difficult for us to even comprehend the length of time. Of course, people lived longer at this particular time. To give yourself to a work without really seeing the fulfillment of it, without being able to, to experience much of what was promised, but to continue diligently day after day, serving the Lord, doing what he's called you to do. Why? Because you believe, because you have faith, because you trust the word that God has given you. And so that faith requires obedience. Faith is demonstrated through obedience. 
No doubt Noah faced great persecution. He faced ridicule and criticism throughout this time. But now we're coming to the place now where it's been over a hundred years. We're nearing that point where God had said, this is going to be it. My spirit does not strive with man forever. And we're coming to that place then where the flood will come. And that's where we pick up here in chapter 7 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah... Come into the ark. So now this time has come. God has said, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. God here reinforces once again Noah's character, that he sees that Noah in his obedience has demonstrated himself as a righteous man in the midst of a wicked generation. And again, roughly 100 years have gone by now. Noah's been obedient to the mission that God had called him to, and he's now invited to join God in the ark. Now this is an important distinction here. God did not say to Noah, Noah, go into the ark. He said, come. He said, come into the ark. What we need to see here, am I suggesting that God in human form literally sat there in the ark with Noah? No, I am not suggesting that, but I am suggesting that the presence of God was very real in that ark. God's invitation for salvation from a lost and dying world is to come to Him. Do you see what's happening here? As God says to Noah, come, come into the ark. And as we think about salvation and we think about God's invitation to salvation, where He says that He's going to give us rest, come unto me, all you who are weary. He is our salvation. So Noah... Noah, whose name means rest, if you remember that from the genealogy, Noah, whose name means rest, is prepared to enter his salvation. The ark, the ark that's prepared from a tree, covered in pitch, which can be translated atonement. Do you see the picture here that's playing out as Noah is preparing to enter into the ark? Now, some caution against drawing such parallels as I've just drawn there in terms of the the wood for the ark and the pitch that can be translated atonement, that, that it may be the case that these words just really have no connection to, of course, the picture of the cross, the tree that Jesus was hung from, and that how his blood which was shed served as our atonement and covers us. But I can't help but see God's hand all over this. I don't think that God would waste the opportunity to point us to the work of the cross as he is preparing here the means of Noah's salvation. How it is, in fact, a picture of our eventual salvation as Noah finds grace and is spared from judgment that is to come upon the world. So God invites Noah. He says, come, come into the ark. Come into my presence. And he says in verse 2, you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. So sometimes we hear when we consider this story that Noah took the animals two by two onto the ark, and this is true of some, but of clean animals and of birds there were seven clean animals that they would be spared in order that they could reproduce again, but also for the means of sacrifice. And so oftentimes we miss this in the account of the flood that certain animals, there was more of them brought on board than others. And in verse 4 we read, For after seven more days, this is God speaking to Noah again, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. 
and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah and his family were invited by God now as the flood was coming, but as of yet, it would still be another seven days. We're going to see throughout here, chapters 7 and 8, there's many references to seven-day periods. Uh, Is that significant? Well, it's in the Bible, so it's certainly significant, but of course we see seven used a lot uh, throughout the Bible as the number of uh, completion. Of course, we know it to be the days of the week, and it's just interesting that oftentimes throughout this time, God sort of operates in these week-long periods. Now, he gives here seven more days. The invitation for Noah to come into the ark at this point has been given, but God says it's going to be seven more days until the flood waters start to come. Now, perhaps this is for the process of migration to be completed, that the animals that are coming to Noah are still on their way, if you will. Uh, It's very likely that this uh, was the case. We know even today that animals have an incredible instinct given to them by God uh, to migrate, to go to places that we just can't, we can't sometimes find our way out of the woods, right, (laughs) ourselves. Uh, Everybody relies on their GPS, but yet it's amazing how these animals can just go to exactly where they need to go. So maybe it's to allow more time for the rest of the animals animals to make their way there, or maybe, just maybe, this is also a demonstration of God's continued patience, His mercy, uh, offering seven more days before the judgment, more opportunity for repentance. We see throughout Scripture, and, and even as we approach the the end of days, uh, as we are in the, we are living in the last days, wondering oftentimes, Lord, how long, when, Lord, will you return but every day that he tarries in his return is only a greater demonstration of his, his mercy towards humanity. And so here God says it's still going to be another seven days. And verse 7, so Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, they went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. And verse 8, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. And in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. Uh, there's great specificity here that we have the recorded in Scripture. Uh, the very day that the floodwaters began to come, and much research has been done on trying to align and understand the, the dates and the calendars and the, the genealogies and the different timelines, and it's contributed to our understanding of the age of the earth. And, uh, and now here, for the first time, rain begins to fall from the sky. Up until this point, remember, that had not rained upon the earth. There was still sort of this, and I'm not a scientist, but this kind of hydrosphere over the earth where water sort of came up and, and uh, watered the earth from below. And there was really a perfect climate, a perfect temperature around all of the earth. They, they weren't subject to significant shifts in weather. Uh, they could plan uh, to have events outdoors, and it just didn't rain on them when they did. It's a wonderful thing that we have to look forward to in the new heaven and in the new earth. We're going to have a movie night and it's going to be just beautiful, okay? I'm jealous. I'm just really jealous of Noah at this point. 
So now it begins to rain for the first time. Rain's falling from the sky. And as well as, it's not just rain that's coming down, there's water that's coming up. It's breaking forth from the earth. Whatever the system was that God had designed for the earth to be watered from below, now all of this was breaking up and and fountains of water were beginning to come up from the earth. I mean, imagine if you've ever seen an end time sort of movie and, you know, earthquakes are happening and all these things are exploding and boom, boom, water's coming up. I mean, we don't know exactly how this is happening, but you can only imagine it. You can speculate okay and for 40 days this is happening what happens in our area here what happens in Colombia after just days of a downpour flooding flooding happens I mean if we have I mean just recently with some of the weather that came from the hurricane I mean right away what's your, your phone's beeping you know what's it telling you flood flash flood warning right It shouldn't be that odd for us to think that just with a little bit of rain in a certain area that causes flooding, that if water is just shooting up from the earth and water is coming down and it's doing so consistently and really a torrential downpour for 40 days, that it is going to begin to just cover the earth. 40 days of cataclysmic flooding. And this, by the way, don't let anybody tell you that it was a localized flood. This was a worldwide flood. The entire earth was covered. How do we know that? Well, because Scripture tells us that. God says in many different ways, the authors say in many different ways, that as we'll see here shortly, the mountains were covered, right? Noah didn't need to build a boat, and he didn't need to have all the animals come on the boat if it was just a local flood, right? Why would, why would, why would they have even needed to do that? They just get out of the way. If somebody, if today, if an area is flooding, you leave. You just leave that area, right? You go elsewhere. This was not the case here. This is a worldwide flood. Jesus himself spoke of the flood. It says, verse 13, On the very same day Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, and which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. You see, there was a really big door on the side of this ark. It's God who closed the door. There's significance for us here. In Acts, in chapter 16, verse 31, in Acts 16, 31, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. See, fathers and mothers, we are called to follow Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus and to trust that our family will follow. Now, a balanced view of Scripture shows us also that man still has a choice. It's not guaranteed that your family will follow, but this is the best chance, is by leading the way as Noah did for his family. But man does have a choice. God promised, listen, God promised well before this that Noah's family would be saved. He chose them for salvation, but they still had to enter the ark. They still had to choose to get on board. But it starts with leadership in the home. It started with Noah saying, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do what the Lord has called me to do and to lead the way. I would ask you, are there generations of unbelief in your family? Be the one to break the trend. Be the one to be obedient and to follow after the Lord and to begin to lead others As you follow him. Now, as they entered the ark, it was God who shut them in. Note this God called them, they responded, and God sealed them. 
as they came into his presence and began to enjoy the safety and the peace of his presence. We see here again a picture of salvation. And so as the storms begin to rage outside and the floodwaters increase, Noah and his family board the SS salvation, if you will, and God kept them secure. Verse 17, we read now, the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed and greatly increased just in that local area. No, it says on the earth, right? And the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. You can only imagine this this giant ark now as the waters are continuing to rise and suddenly it's starting to to move and it's starting to shift a little bit as the water begins to, to lift it up. And Noah's thinking, Oh, praise the Lord, right? It's starting to move. It's starting to float. That's a good thing. And so it moves about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. This really means that the waters covered the mountain peaks. And they made it such that the ark could move safely over them. If any of you have ever been out on a boat before, one of the things you need to know about going out on a boat and being out on the lake is you've got to know the lake, right? Sometimes there's some things that are right underneath the surface of the water and you don't know they're there and you're going to hit them, right? You've got to be careful. Imagine that for here, the, the, the ark as it's, as it's going along and all of a sudden it, boom, crashes into the, the peak of a, of a significant mountain. Right? And so the water here covered even the mountain peaks such that the ark could sail along and be safe. The waters prevailed again 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. And so we know, and we can even ask, I, I suppose, how high were the mountains at this time, right? Well, we don't know for sure. And we do know that the topography changed throughout the flood and, and afterward, and even still today, we know that aspects of the surface of the earth are changing as different plates are shifting and earthquakes happen and volcanoes come up. And that's all a result of the flood. This is what the flood did to the earth. And so we don't know exactly how high things were at this time, how high the water had to be to cover all of these things. We can, we can base it off of what we see today with the highest mountain peaks, but we don't know for sure what those were like at this particular time. It says in verse 21, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all, verse 22, in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Now note for the, the skeptics who want to, and this has been asked before, what about the fish? How did all the fish die in the flood? They're fish. They live in the water, right? That's a silly question. They didn't die. And God gives us that answer right here. They stayed. They continued to do their thing, right? As the ocean got deeper, okay? God specifies here that it was the things on land, not the fish, okay? They continued to, to swim about during this time. There's a lot of accusations, silly accusations that have been thrown out there over the years to suggest that the flood doesn't make sense. And so God here does not mention them as they were suited for water. One of the things here, though, that can easily just be passed by, that of course 
if we reflect upon it just for a moment, it's there, we get it, but oftentimes we can just picture maybe Noah and his family getting into the ark and all these animals, and you know, it's become the thing that people have decorated nurseries with, and there's, there's back in the day when people used wallpaper, I guess, I remember, the, I, I don't, it must have been in church, uh, I remember the wallpaper of Noah's ark, right, and all the animals, and, and of course it's a common baby toy and all these things, but it's, it's really a pretty horrific thing that's going on right now, Right? As he says here, the man was destroyed on the face of the earth. With the exception of Noah's family, this means billions of people this time were perishing in the flood. Most of them likely, though, though no doubt there were some extremely stubborn ones, most of them beginning to see the, the waters come and to say, he was right, he was right, but it was too late. Um, these are the types of things in Scripture we have to take to heart and, and, and recognize that there's another wave of judgment that's coming. It may not be coming in the form of a flood, as God said, I'll never flood the earth again, as we'll see here at the end of chapter 8. But there is judgment coming. There's something that awaits humanity, in particular for those who don't know Christ, those who reject Christ. We need to be like Noah, walking with God and obedient and declaring the truth uh, of what's to come. And so we must be moved by this. We need to pray that God would pierce our hearts with an awareness of, of this, that just as people perished in the time of Noah, there's those who will perish uh, in our time as well, and, and uh, to be motivated to, to share the truth of the gospel. It says, only Noah, latter part of verse 23, only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. A lot of times we think that Noah, as you listen to the what I'll call is just the children's version of the story, that he was in the ark for 40 days because it, it rained and poured for 40 long... No? You guys got that one? Yeah, 40 days, right? It's the children's song that we sang. But it was so much longer than that. It was much longer than that. Even longer than 150 days, as we'll see. But 40 days were the days of the cataclysmic flooding in the rain, and everything continued to just come upon the earth throughout this time. And then, 150 days of the floodwaters continuing to prevail over the entire earth, whether throughout that time it was continuing to rise in certain areas, or just simply maintain the waters were not yet receding. Then, as we get into chapter 8 and verse 1, we see that then God remembered Noah and every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Now, it should be noted here, this, as you read this verse, can seem a little odd here, almost as if God had forgotten about Noah, as it says here that he remembered Noah. God had not forgotten about Noah out there on the water. Though, after all this time, I think we could all relate to the possible feeling that Noah and his family had of, Lord, where are you? God, where are you? Sometimes in our own lives, we hear from God. We respond to His call. We, in obedience, do what may seem crazy. Okay, We can relate to some degree to Noah's life here, and, and then all of a sudden it seems like he goes silent. Has anybody ever experienced that before? powerful work of God in their life. They just felt like almost you maybe heard God's voice audibly and you just thought, yeah, I'm, this is great. I'm on fire and I'm, and I'm doing these things. I'm following after the Lord. And all of a sudden you come into this period of what feels like just silence. You're floating along. The floods have continued and you feel like, God, where are you? 
But what we find is that he is still there. He's still there. There is a timing, a perfect timing to things. And what Scripture says here is not that God remembered so much as rightly translated. It's God began to act on their behalf again. God began to move on their behalf again because it was time. Just as he will act on your behalf, Christian, if we just trust him. You may feel at various points in your life and in your walk with Him that you are alone or that you've not heard from Him. You've not heard from God for some time. Just keep doing what He called you to do in the beginning and wait for Him to move. There is a lesson in every stage of Noah's life here as God, again, began to move and to work in their lives. There's a long time out there on the water, but here God begins to move and work and we should be encouraged by that and so God causes a wind to pass over the earth now what's interesting here is this word wind is the word ruach which we've seen before which can also be translated spirit now whether in fact this is the spirit of God moving over the waters of the earth again as the spirit did in the days of creation I don't know I'd like to think, even if it seemed to be simply a breeze, that our all-present, all-powerful God is in some ways even found in the most pleasant of breezes. And so whether it was the Spirit of God that was moving again here on the face of the earth, or whether it was just the glory of His creation on display, I think it's awesome to think here that the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit, moved across the earth. And it says in verse 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth. And at the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. And in verse 4, then the ark rested in the seventh month and the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. So after all of this time now, the ark comes to rest on likely a high part of the mountain, Mount Ararat. Now, there's there's no real reason. uh, Certainly people debate this and and they research this, but there's really no reason to to not think that it's the modern-day Ararat that's found in in Turkey. It could be that very same mountain. And, And even over the past several decades, many explorers have suggested that they found evidence of the ark on that particular mountain. Even back in 2010, there was a pretty compelling uh, finding of wood that seemed to be part of a large ship that was found towards the top of a mountain. Now, many researchers who explored that area said, well, it couldn't be. This wood isn't old enough. They did the carbon dating of the wood and suggested that it wouldn't have aligned with the timing of the ark. I think it's pretty interesting to think that a part of what appears to be a boat was found on top of a mountain and the wood was thousands of years old. But uh, to these scientists, not quite old enough, right? They did the carbon dating on it. There's actually a case out there that you can research where somebody basically how do you describe it? They took some chunks of bridge that was destroyed and they gave it to a lab to do some carbon dating. This was sort of a, uh, they had a nefarious motive on their part. And they said, will you date this? And they dated the chunk of the interstate to be, you know, 20,000 years old or something like that. And it was all with the intention of saying your carbon dating is not worth a whole lot. Imagine, imagine if somebody was able to communicate conclusively, we found the ark. 
What would that do? What would that do to science today? What would that do to those who uh, are staunch evolutionists? Right? What would that do for those who have su- suggested that the, the earth is millions and millions, billions of years old? Right? I mean, the, the ark would be a pretty incredible finding in terms of beginning to really transform some people's worldviews. Right? And so uh, who knows? Who knows where it's at or whether or not that was in fact uh, some of its, its remains there. But again, no real reason to think that that couldn't have been the exact spot uh, where the ark settled in. Now once again here, as we look at this passage, we're given some specific dates, uh, which is pretty cool here in the Genesis record. And it really just lends itself to the accuracy of the text. Furthermore though, the fact that dates are included in Scripture is for a purpose. Uh, There's never anything in Scripture that's by accident. There's never anything in Scripture that's just like, well, it's just there and it doesn't really mean anything. Everything has its purpose, including dates, including this date that we're given. Now, there's two suggestions that are made for the significance of these dates. And they depend really on the calendars that are used, both at this particular time and then throughout history. Calendars have changed slightly. Uh, Even the Jewish calendar was adjusted slightly over time. And so there are some different things that need to be figured out as people look at these dates. But again, there's really two things that people look at with this date that suggest some significance. I think you're going to be pretty amazed by this if you've not considered it before, that one widely held view of the, and note here the author says, the 17th day of the seventh month, which on the Jewish civil calendar would make the date that the ark came to rest on the mount, the day that Noah's salvation, listen, the day that Noah's salvation, there is he, he came into the ark, he comes, he responds to the invitation of God to come into the means of his salvation, that the date that's given where it would come to rest on the dry ground of a new world and subsequently mean new life is the same, the very same day on the Jewish civil calendar that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I think that might mean something. (laughs) Now listen, if you had others in the room here this evening, there would be many who would contest this, including believers. Not, you know, not people who want to just say, oh, this is just a bunch of garbage. No, these are, these are believers in Jesus Christ, but who do a lot of research and say, no, I don't, I don't know that that's accurate based off of their own research of different calendars. The, the amazing thing is, though, those that have said, I don't think that that date aligns also suggest that there's significance of another date, even if we consider a different calendar process. In fact, there's an article from Answers in Genesis that states this, for those who might be disappointed that Noah's ark did not rest on Mount Ararat on the same day of the month that Jesus was resurrected, you might be encouraged by the fact that the ark rested on Mount Ararat during the time of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. In Leviticus chapter 23 verses 33 through 36, God commanded the Israelites to start the Feast of Booths on the 15th day in the seventh month, which is Tishri. The feast was to last for seven days. That means that the 17th day of the seventh month occurs in the middle of the feast. It should also be noted that the Feast of Booths is celebrated during the Millennial Kingdom, as we read in Zechariah 14, 16 through 19. The Feast of Tabernacles is symbolic of Christ's second coming, when he will establish his earthly kingdom. And so the landing of Noah's Ark marked a new beginning, and the Millennial Kingdom will mark a new beginning as well. You see, whichever way you look at this here, it seems that it is by design when the waters recede. It is God's timing. 
We can be confident either way that it was no accident when the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, which further reinforces more than it just being one of those sort of goosebump moments where you kind of go like, wow, that's trippy, that's pretty cool, right? It should reinforce for you more than that, that once again, when you feel like you're out there, when you feel like maybe you're left alone in the storms of this life, when you feel like, man, right now I feel like I'm just sort of in isolation all alone, that God is at work and his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. We just need to trust him. It says in verse 5, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove, to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days, and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. There's several periods, several seven-day periods here that Noah waits. He's proving himself to be a very patient man. What we see here is that while the waters had begun to recede, they were resting here on the top of the mountain, at least near the top of the mountain, and Noah could not likely see much, and so he employed the use of the birds to determine if there was suitable land for them so that they could disembark from their ship finally comes to the point when the dove doesn't return. The dove, different than a raven, would not want to settle in on just any old ground or available turf like a raven, a scavenger would. And so the dove keeps coming back until there's a suitable place for her to go. So Noah knows, now's the time. And it came to pass, it says in verse 13, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. I know that all of you guys throughout this have done your math and you were adding it up, right? You've got it all figured out at this point. If you didn't, I did it earlier, okay? So depending on how you count the first or the last days, you know, they weren't necessarily first days or full days, excuse me. Noah and his family were in the ark for 371 days. 371 days. 53 weeks, exactly. Isn't that interesting? It's a long time. We first went to live stream only at the church because of COVID on Sunday, March 15th. The earlier part of this year, Sunday, March 15th. We came back to services, interestingly enough, we reopened the church 42 days later. (laughs) It's almost as if there was a period of great cataclysmic flooding on the earth during that time, but then it ceased, right, and we came back out, and it's just interesting to think about all that we've discussed throughout this year, right, all the inconveniences, all the all the time of, man, staying in my house, and I go out of my house, what can I do, what can I do, can I go to a restaurant, can I go to the store, can I not do this, can I do that? It hadn't been 371 days yet, folks. (laughs) The stuff gets put into perspective a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, you talk about quarantine. How about being on a a boat with your family and a bunch of animals for a year, right? (laughs) There's some perspective to be had. 53 weeks 
that Noah and his family were on this ship. But I think what's interesting, and though there was, you know, this perhaps this period of time, and it's only speculation on, on my part, perhaps this period of time, as it said, God remembered Noah, that, that maybe his, his presence wasn't as experienced maybe as much as it was there at the beginning when Noah first went onto the ark. The fact is, now as Noah has the opportunity to leave the ark, he's, it seems, maybe a little reluctant to do so. As it says in verse 15, then God spoke to Noah saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Just over a year earlier, God had said, Come. Come, Noah, into your salvation. You'll find rest and safety and security as I seal and as I shut you in. And like many of us, when we first came unto Christ or when we enjoy His presence still today, it's a place we come to treasure and enjoy and just to be in the presence of the Lord and to enjoy intimacy with Him. And honestly, we sometimes don't want to leave it, right? To leave that place of security and comfort and go into something that's new and and different. An unknown, but Noah, like us, was given new life. He was here given a new world, and his work was not done. God had more for him to do, and, and so now the command is not come, but go, like it is for us. We spend time in his presence as we exalt him. We come to know him as Lord and Savior, and we, we exalt him. And, and as we spend time in his presence, we are equipped, as Noah was equipped in his time there with the Lord, but there comes a time also where God says, go. And just like us, we're called to go and engage. Noah also shows us here in many respects a pattern of discipleship in his life, that now he comes to that place where God says, you've got work to do. As he says to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As the angels said to the disciples that were there staring up at Jesus as he ascended into heaven, and they said, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> the angel says, you, you go. He'll return. He'll come back just like that right here. You've got to go. You've got work to do. And so in continued obedience, Noah departs from what had become his home. And it's important for us to see what happens next. Noah, having spent time in God's presence, experienced his protection and blessing, having found grace. It says that Noah found grace. He was delivered through the storm. He was delivered through the flood and was now embarking on new life in a new world. Noah begins to worship. As we see in verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This Sunday, as I alluded to this, this past Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, we'll make our way into the latter part of Matthew chapter 14, where we see Jesus coming to the disciples on the water, and of course, Peter's invited to come out on the water and to approach him, an incredible uh, demonstration of faith in the life of Peter there. As they experience the Lord there on, on the water and as the storm is calmed and as he boards the boat, there's no other response for the disciples other than to declare who Jesus is, that in fact he is the Son of God, the Messiah, and there's nothing they can do but worship him in that moment as they come to just a greater awareness of who he is. I would submit to you this evening that Noah, having spent time in the presence of God, having seen and experienced God delivering him from judgment, found that there was nothing else that he could do other than worship him. 
And the same should be true of us as we come to an understanding of our sin, as we come to an understanding and develop a knowledge of a holy God, of a holy and righteous God who has interceded and worked on our behalf, who's given us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that as we too become aware of what we've been delivered from, that there would be nothing we could do other than worship him. And so Noah here builds an altar. This is the first place in Scripture we actually see the word altar. And he sacrifices to God. He sacrifices, uh, he gives a sin offering on behalf of himself and the people that have perished. He gives them an offering of praise. It says here that he took of every clean animal and of every clean bird. And note God's response. Verse 21, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. I must pause here just for a moment and just note here that for the record, God loves the smell of grilled meat. It's biblical, people. It's right there. Can I get an amen? Okay. So the Lord smells a soothing aroma. And then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. God makes a promise here. We'll see as we get into this, I guess it'll be the week after Thanksgiving, as we get into Genesis chapter 9, we'll see the covenant, more of the covenant that God makes. But here, God makes a commitment. I'll never do this again. But God also says man is evil. There are none good. No, not one. But here God relents and determines to never bring this calamity upon the earth again. And we must ask ourselves the question here, was it because of the flood? Note when God says this. When does God decide to say, by the way, man's heart is still wicked. Okay, It is from his youth. That hasn't changed. Noah's just obedient. Noah's willing to, to follow God. But it doesn't change the, the fact that his, that his heart isn't wicked from his youth. I mean, we have here a, a sense of original sin that we are born that way. Okay? Look where God, look what happens, or what is the motivation, if you will, for God declaring, I'll never do this again. It was because of the sacrifice. It was because of the worship here. It seems that here God is moved by the sacrifice that Noah makes. And, and this sacrifice was costly for Noah. He risked much in this sacrifice. He literally gave of, of what he had left that was really intended to be able to sustain him and repopulate the world. There's a lot of people that would say, man, this is, this is foolish right now. This is not the first thing that you should do, or these are not the resources that you should use. But in a further demonstration of faith on the part of Noah, he says, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to sacrifice for the Lord. And God was moved. What he smelled was a sweet-smelling aroma, a sacrifice that pleased him. Such is the case when we're willing to offer our bodies, our lives, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. It's our spiritual act of worship, as Romans says. And we're not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may test and prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. He still responds to a sacrifice. And God went on to say in verse 22, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, all day and night shall not cease. It shall not cease. So from this point on, the earth was different. There would now be seasons and fluctuations in weather and temperatures, but God would never flood the earth again. And seasons would continue on their cycle. They would never end. 
I'm going to try and take it here. I do believe, by the way, that we should be good stewards of the creation, okay? That we should be good, we should take care of, of the earth that we live on, okay? But global warming and the melting of the ice caps and the threat of a flood, it's not going to happen. Why? Because God said it wouldn't, that he would never flood the earth again. That the seasons would continue, they shall not cease. I think much of what we see happen in our world today, again, I'm not suggesting we don't take care of our environment, but much of what we see happening in our world today that causes people to freak out are cycles. And we need to trust that God is in control. His creation is incredible. Even still, albeit being a bit broken, as it were, what this world is able to do, the way it's able to heal itself, the way it's able to restore itself, is incredible. I mean, look at the... And again, I need to be careful. I don't go off on a rabbit trail. Research Chernobyl. Many of you remember the Chernobyl incident, right? You go back there today, they're hardly getting any readings from a radioactive perspective. There's animals that are thriving. It's pretty incredible what the earth can do. So God says the cycle of the seasons would not cease, nor would there be a flood. And listen, here as we close it out. The word of God makes clear here as we've read that there was a global flood. That this flood served as God's judgment on a wicked earth. But what we see in this account is not the hand of an angry God, but rather a God of mercy. What we see in this, what we should be reminded of tonight, is that though the imagination of our hearts are evil, though you may at times feel like you've blown it, though you feel like sometimes maybe you're beyond His grace and His mercy, that there is a God who still smells the aroma of a sweet sacrifice. A God who still invites us to come, all you who are weary, to rest in His presence, who employs us in His service, who uses us, who accepts your sacrifice, who receives your worship, who is still at work and will bring you to rest someday in that new heaven and new earth as He delivers this world once and for all. The fact is, for you, even as you depart here tonight, you can worship Him. The same way that Noah did, you can worship Him. You can recognize what He has done for you, what He's delivered you from, and you can say, Lord, I offer you my life. Again, Lord, I give it to you, and I worship you, and I praise you, Lord, and I thank you for what you've done for me, for what you are doing for me, Lord, what you're going to do for me, what you've promised me. And you can trust that God will receive that, that He loves you. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together here this evening, Lord. Thank you for your word. Uh, it is powerful, Lord. And it's incredible to consider how you have acted upon creation throughout all of history. And Lord, help us to not forget that you are still moving and working. That we see in the life of Noah and in the events of Noah and the flood such a wonderful picture of salvation. And, and Lord, a pattern for the life that we even still today ought to live a life that's obedient towards you, where we walk with you, we trust you, Lord, with the path and the, the pace and the place that we're going, Lord, where we uh, know, Lord, that even in those times when it may seem as if we're all alone, Lord, out in the middle of the floodwaters, that you are working, Lord, that you're moving, that you're with us, and that you, Lord, and your timing is, is perfect. We can trust you, Lord, to provide for us, to meet our needs, and the Lord, to bring about the necessary circumstances, Lord, and the necessary events at the perfectly appointed time. Uh, Lord, there's no reason, just as we've sung tonight, Lord, to worry, uh, to fear, but only, Lord, to trust in you. And so, Lord, help us to be a people that do just that. Lord, truly, 
for any of us here tonight who are feeling a sense of uh, that perhaps our, our faith is weak, uh, Lord, would you strengthen it? In the same way that you provided for the sacrifice for Noah, Lord, um, would you provide, Lord, the, the means of our worship? Would you provide and, and work in, in our hearts, Lord, and, and grow our faith? Um, Lord, I do believe that's a prayer that you'll answer. And uh, so, Lord, work in our hearts here tonight. Um, uh, again, Lord, as we go into this holiday season, as we go into this week of Thanksgiving, Lord, may we truly have uh, grateful hearts, Lord. May we have an awareness of, of just how blessed we are. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.